that's a great ball. So well. can he pick out the pass? Yes, they've got space. It's over. You can't keep a good man down for too long. It's a goal! Pakistan on level! It's three! Three! What a game! Hockey the podcast is back. Welcome to another episode of your favorite hockey podcast, telling all the untold stories in Southern African hockey. Yeah, not just South Africa. We like to go abroad too. Uh, of course, recently we had the FIH Hockey Nations Cup in Potchefstroom. The Northwest University played host to a tournament featuring the 10th to 18th team uh, in the world, looking at the opportunity to get their way back into the FIH Hockey Pro League. Of course, uh, South Africa were part of it, and one of the South African players was the man behind the mask, none other than Estian Creek. Of course, South African hockey has had a great run of keepers. Chris Hibbert, uh, Spider-Man Marburg, Rassi Peterser, and of course, the gloves have been hung up. They've been left to dry, and there's an opportunity for the younger players to come in and put their hands up, and our guest today, Estian Creek, is one of the men putting his hand up, looking to become the permanent replacement for Rossi Peterson alongside a tough competition right now. And we'll talk about that and all and so much more in this episode of Hockey the Podcast. Well, Esti, we, uh, people won't know this, but we did attempt this before. Um, yeah, thanks for joining Hockey the Podcast. Obviously, yeah, the Nations Cup was a great opportunity for you and, and the team. But, you know, we're looking at your career, looking at where you got and. You know, the right way to start is obviously right at the start. Tell us about your adventure into the world of goalkeeping. <laughs> um, yeah, hi, firstly. Sorry, I forgot <laughs> to actually greet you because oh, we've been chatting for like half an hour before. <laughs> um, so I, I was always a cricketer, pretty decent cricketer in my opinion. So at primary school, I, that was my main sport. Loved it, played summer, played the whole time through. And my brother, who's two years younger, um, he was, played a little bit of hockey. And then... I think it was in grade seven they needed a goalkeeper in the first team because yeah they didn't have one and I didn't have a winter sport and I was going to St Albans College the next year and I knew that I would have I would have had to play a, um, a winter sport so I was like oh, cool might as well give it a go played for a season got to St Albans and um, had to play winter sport and next thing so put my hand up and from there kind of ball just started rolling and I kept going and next thing I know I'm here so well, and, and that's what you say. You are here. You are one of the national goalkeepers for your country. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. At, at what point did you start realizing that that dream could become a reality of becoming an international sports star? Um, it was always kind of my dream. Um, I think it was primarily to be a cricketer. That was always my my childhood dream was to play cricket for, for the country. And um, I kind of hung up the bat at the end of my trick and realized yeah, well, there's an opportunity to play for Texas number for Texas first team through the likes or through the, the tutorship of Craig Fulton and Dave Viney 
um, Keith Ferrets and Auburn's always really stoked that interest in me or I think he probably saw a bit of potential in me and then um, Martin Draver also had a few positive words to say for me and like when I came into contact with him the first time I think it was in grade it's either grade 10 or 11 um, and then I kind of decided you know what I'm going to give the hockey a go I'm pretty decent at it um, made a SA under 16 squad but nothing after that ever again um, so might as well just play and see how far I can go well and, and obviously you've now got to that point of uh, making the national team uh, getting a lot of games obviously as you were starting to break in there was still this beast called Rassi Peterson there <laughs> uh, then the Olympics were postponed and that meant that uh, his retirement was postponed by another year I know he's always spoken very highly of you but uh, you know being a keeper is tough and, and Gowan Jones was the next in line and, yep. and the current um, dare I say at the current incumbent and, and that's based on Commonwealth Games um, of that number one jersey how, how bad do you want that? Oh very badly I think I would be lying if I said I didn't but I would also say that the other three are lying if they say they don't want it so it, it's such a strange environment being a goalkeeper because um, there are always two individual sportsmen in our team always it's number one goalkeeper number two goalkeeper and then there's the little team of the two of us and then there's the big team being the big group so all th four in the squad all six if you maybe i think it's seven if you or eight don't really know how many on the performance squad oh sorry the, the the emerging squad if you add those eight together every single one of you them will tell you they want to be number one yeah yeah and, and i mean obviously in last week here at the fih hockey nations cup uh do you feel like you've utilized the opportunity so far to to further enhance your credibility for the role i think i have um i've tried to just play my game and to play to my strengths and to go you know, step for step i think in the past especially as a younger man kind of really worried about the performance really um worried about the result and it kind of really had an impact on you know you kind of as a sportsman attach yourself worth to it for some for a lack of a better word um and really worked through that phase where now i'm just actually trying to enjoy it i really struggled to enjoy the game for a couple of years and almost gave up um and the last year and a half it's i'm looking forward to every single training session so it's just been so much fun and that's kind of what i've been throwing throwing into it so yeah uh, yeah, you know, obviously a lot of fun, but as a keeper, a lot of uh, hard knocks as well. Um, anything that's been the most particularly painful? Um, like a hit, like being hit. Yeah. Oh, just, little, the inner thigh is always fun. Yeah, it's always really sore. I, I've done it. I've done a patella dislocation, but that's just uh, that was freak. So that's not really. Yeah, look, uh, it's not an advert when I see the bruises on you and Anton. It's not an advert to become a keeper. Yeah. Um, and I think I told you the story the other day. I, I once uh, covered for keeper, and the first shot that came at me, I turned my leg to kick it, and yeah, it hit did. just inside the pad. Yes, man, that, there's no pain like that. It's, it's a, it, and I think people forget that. You know, Keepers get hit like that regularly in a game, yeah. and you just got to get up and carry on. Um, it's that, and the other two, well... So it depends what arm guards you wear. I don't know, Lochis wears the full ones. I don't. I wear elbow pads. So I get hit on the forearm quite a bit on the inner, and sometimes on the bicep. Uh, that's normally not too painful. It's just a sting. and go, the, Sometimes it's really bad. 
Um, and the other two areas you really get hit often is the heel and the toe, which if you're reaching sometimes, or if you just time it slightly, and I'm currently nosing a bruise, so it's okay. <laughs> now that you heard it, kids, that's why you should be a keeper. Yeah, it's fun, man. It's, it's so much fun, though, in all seriousness. But, but obviously, you, you said it so poignantly, and, and it's true. You know, a keeper is an individual game yeah. in a team game. Um, do you find that that, in, in the teams you've been in, and including this one, do you find that that creates a little bit of unwanted tension between the keepers sometimes? Always, but it's not on purpose. I, I, uh, that's, I think, just the nature of the beast. It depends on the characters as well. So if, I think we spoke about it the other day, but for example, with Anton, that's not there at all. I think it'll always be there subconsciously. Just That's just goalkeepers as a whole. But um, like with him, it's just been an absolute joy. He's that, I don't know, he's a champion. I think he runs on caffeine because his energy levels are incredible. But he's the type of guy, I think you actually said after I said that last time, like you'll make a save that probably means you won't play. Like inverted commas and then he'll like celebrate so i don't know he's a class act so. and do you think there's a little of that pressure taken off maybe by the fact that he is the national indoor keeper uh what do you mean by that the fact that he is already in the national indoor team you know he feels less pressure to to make the team and so if he's dropped for say yourself or gowan you know, do you think that plays into it I've, I've no idea um i haven't given a thought like that i think it's just more the fact that he's such a class guy it's more just yeah the character of the man speaks to it i think yeah he's just so genuine in everything he does now i don't think i've seen anyone be that excited to play hockey other than like a five-year-old in a very long time it's it's actually it's awesome yeah it's awesome to be around him yeah it brings your own energy back uh l- looking back obviously at uh, uh being on the field a keeper also has a very uh, deep relationship with his penalty corner defense team, <laughs> specifically the postman. And, yeah. you know, that, that postman can help keep a clean sheet. You know, how, how much talking happens on that line before a penalty corner between you and the boys uh, as you're preparing to face um, fire? So, <laughs> so between me and the postman, nothing. Um, I, that's just me. I, I can't speak for the other goalies, but... I don't really speak to the postman. Don't really need to say much to him. He knows his job. I know mine. Um, I take the role of calling it, calling the run we're going to do, if you're going to run out three, three, one, or whatever positioning it would be. And then um, kind of get a sanction. Sometimes someone would say, no, I don't think that. It's not often. Um, but then normally you listen to it. It's like, okay, cool, let's see. And then take responsibility for placing the first wave. And we go from there. So it's, but the 40 seconds are short. We, I think we forget it. Um, I try and go into my little routine to set up uh, and then just kind of make the call and go from there. And what's your strength as a keeper? Feet or hands? Our hands, I think. Um, it would definitely be hands that's coming from the cricket from years, um, from years back. Yeah, it's, it's been... The other thing is, obviously, you currently, and we'll talk about your journey overseas, but you're currently playing uh, and practicing with Pinocchio. Uh, which means you do get to, uh, in training, get to face someone like Alex Hendricks. Yeah. I mean, that, that's fire coming that, in. That is fire, as well as Miles Bookins. So, yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun. It's uh, been a real learning curve. And, and do, you, do you feel, uh, look, there, there's a sense of intimidation the first time you face a flicker like that. Are you at that point where you're completely comfortable with it now? Um, growing into it, I, I think it, it kind of, yeah, 
more excited. Let's put it that way. You're more excited. You want to face them. You kind of get annoyed when you don't get a chance to train with them because you know it's it's fun. Firstly, being tested. Um, but yeah, that's the consistent learning curve because they also get better. They'd learn different movements and yeah. And, and since you've made the move over, um, you know, obviously you've got to watch a couple of with the cluster games. You've got to train with them. Now, how would you compare the intensity there to probably the highest level you played here? And, and there's no discredit to club was the varsity sports. Um, you know, how, how would you compare the, the, the two? Sadly, they're not really comparable. Um, the WIF cluster is probably the highest level in the world um, consistently other than an international game. Um, and it, yeah, it's insane. It's, I think it has its pros and it has its cons. I think its cons would be sometimes it's not as professional as it could be. For example, warming up or conditioning, etc. But from a technical perspective and from a tactical perspective, it is really, really world class. Um, yeah, it's not really comparable. Sadly, I would encourage as many of our players to go play overseas as possible, whether it's Germany, Belgium, or um, France or Holland. They should. Uh, I think we need to get as many players over there as possible, get exposed to that as much as possible, and yeah. And, and speaking of players being over there, obviously in the Hoofde class, so in, in Netherlands, we have very limited South Africans right yes. now. There's yourself, uh, Ryan Julius, uh, Austin Smith. Have you reached out to Aussie or, or Juju while you've been there to you know, just help you with the transition across? So Tim Drummond was super helpful. He, um, you know, he went above and beyond, as he normally does, um, to just really make me settle in and ease in. So he's been an absolute like, phenomen- phenom in that. Uh, bumped into Ryan once or twice, also saw Ozzy once, but Ozzy lives quite far away, he lives in Den Bosch, he's also the mayor there, so like, um, <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's, uh, yeah, they've been very helpful, always know that there is someone who will help you if there's need, so. He's also still the mayor of Pinelands. <laughs> Can't speak to that. <laughs> uh, well, well, I know that Austin listens to all of these, so. Oh, really? Uh, Ozzy, uh, <clears throat> that one's just for you, the mayor of Pinelands. The mayor of Den Bosch. Yeah, there we go. That, uh, the recently married, still playing with the class, still yeah. banging in the goals. Uh, you wish uh, you got to play a little bit more for. Did you, did you actually? You didn't play with him for South Africa at all. I actually don't know if I have. No, I don't think I've played mm. with him. No, I missed him. I might have missed him. Yeah, he, he stopped at Tokyo and he missed a little bit of. Yes, that I trained with him, but I missed. I missed playing with him. Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, growing up, we had guys like Austin Smith. We had guys like Tim Drummond. You know, it would have been Jethro Eustace, Tane Pates, and John T. Robinson, Red Hulkett, yeah. you know, Lloyd Norris Jones, all these guys who got over 100 caps. You play alongside a couple of them in Jethro and Tane, and, and Tim, obviously, now concussion means he can't be playing. Yeah, does that ever like hit you? Do you ever have to like pinch yourself and be like, hang on, these are the guys that I watched, and now they're my teammates? Um, I, don't, I think initially it probably did. But now, not so much. And I think it's because they're so down to earth. And I think that's, yeah. It's why they've stayed in the system for so long. It's one, they're class. And second, they're really comfortable to be around. And I think that kind of makes that barrier easier to break down. Um, it hit me more when I say when I'm overseas and you see like Olympic gold medalists and they're like a little bit of a star out. But, um, and then after like your second training session, that falls away and you realize they're just people. Um, and I think that needs to happen if you want to play with them, if you want to train with them, if you want to actually level and grow. So, yeah. One of the things that we see is hockey is uh, famous for, you know, 
because it's an amateur sport, there's also a lot of uh, good, fine sessions afterwards. <laughs> Being in a more professional environment, do you still find a little bit of the hooliganism that is associated? And I don't mean hooliganism like football. I mean in playfulness and off-the-field banter. Is that as prevalent there? Yeah, it's uh, depending on your club. But it is, it is quite a big culture, um, social culture, social aspect. You spend a lot of time at the club, so it makes sense for a lot of guys to do social things together. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, do you find yourself going back to the club on your off days for social gatherings? Um, no, uh, that doesn't really happen. It, it's more like it'll be after training. So, for example, on a Friday night, after training, maybe hang around and have a beer. Or if it's a Sunday after a game, maybe hang around and then yeah, social events like that. So it, it almost flows very naturally into it. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, for the benefit of all, you, you moved over for the purpose of hockey, but uh, you used your professional career to do it. And, you know, a lot of people wonder how a hockey player is able to survive. Uh, you are a chartered accountant and you yeah. moved over with your company there. How are they uh, supporting your, your approach to hockey? Um, they've been very understanding. I know the last time you wanted to cut it out, so I won't. Uh, I won't mention my employer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's fair game. We got We got to give them some coverage. Yeah, yeah. No. So uh, I work for PwC, and they. Uh, I did my articles with them in South Africa, and then I did an internal transfer um, over to into a new division that side. Um, and they've been very helpful. They uh, allowed me to work flexibly. So if I need to, for example, train on Thursday mornings from eight to ten. I wake up a little bit earlier, work for an hour and a half, and I'll make work an hour and a half later to make up that that time frame. Um, they've been very good so far. They've been very understanding. If um, yeah, so I've no complaints thus far. Yeah. And you know, going long term, should uh, South Africa get into the pro league or or uh, you know play at major tournaments? Any concerns that you won't have availability? Yeah, I think a lot of guys would have concern. Just that's just sadly the nature of the beast. If because we're such an amateur, because it's an amateur sport, we're all doing this on my, like I'm taking leave for this week. A lot of guys are taking leave, um, and yeah, it, there would need to be some form of a financial plan to assist guys, either definitely helping them with costs or helping them with leave and if there is that sort of a setup then you can actually go to work and say well maybe guys is it okay if i ask for a little bit more maybe take a bit of unpaid leave here or there but they would there i think there's a broad concern of that so i mean i didn't give you forewarning but let, let's let's investigate that a little bit as as two people with a financial background whose passion is hockey and and both of us pursue it through yeah. different avenues what do you think the answer is? Because I think everybody goes to say, well, it's that big corporate sponsorship, and I don't think that is the answer. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think is the answer? What are the small ones uh, that can give us those vital gains that you know just give the player power back to the players? I think you threw a curveball with the last comment, but I think initially we need to understand that we need to define what the product is and i think that a lot of people miss that it's for the the men's national side and the female na oh, sorry the women's national side to um they must be treated as two separate entities and then hockey as a developed okay when i say that i mean the under 21s underneath them the under 18s underneath them etc so there's the high performance aspect and then there should be the club aspect around that's actually the major driver of sport in our country is for recreation that is a product on its own and that needs to be catered for on its own and then we have the professional side which is entertainment and the entertainment angle that should be also pitched as a product 
So yeah, it sounds great saying the big corporate sponsor is going to come in. XYZ is going to pump in a million bucks every year and that's going to, but at the end of the day, we need to look at what the ROI is going to be for them and how can we actually leverage the entertainment and one, to you, the viewer, give you entertainment and two, give the corporate the, the advertising that they need. And that is the two streams that needs to be identified. Three, if we uh, separate the woman and the, ma- and the men. Um, so how can we actually churn revenue on a daily basis from the non professional players the recreation players and grow the sport as a country and then we have our two revenue streams for the that can actually almost run independently of that for the the the, the women and the men well we've seen that work for springback rugby yeah uh, they've opened up sa rugby pty limited yeah. and it you know runs its own company creates its own revenue do you think the challenges and and i say this with all due respect to uh, springback rugby and springback women's rugby those aren't equals. Springbok men's rugby and Springbok women's rugby are not equals. Mm. Women's rugby is very much in its infancy stage. It's very much a develop, developing sport. Uh, it's not at the top of the, the game yet. Yeah. And it's got a long way to go. So you don't have two equals. Do you sometimes think that the fact that SA, well, national hockey in this country is equals. Yeah. Men and women is equals. It's Definitely. so much harder because we've had it in the past investor came on they were a big corporate sponsor but they wanted nothing to do with men their whole model was to support women we've seen spa in the indoor hockey back the woman do you think that is is conducive to to growing the sport having these two equal elements trying to fight in the market separately when you put it like that no but it should be a combined strategy i think it should be pitched from well, that depends. So it's just, it's a very complex question because let's say let's just use past entities. If Spa was was sponsoring the men and Investor was sponsoring the woman, they would probably both want title. But what you could do is you could sell the broader title. I don't know what the Australian model is, but I know for example they have the minerals company that sponsors both teams. So then you have a broad entity and you have a main sponsor. But then you could, for example, so that will be on the stomach. Um, of both teams and then you could for example have Investec for the women and Spa for the men and then that's one way of alleviating it but like you said they shouldn't be competing against each other because they are different entities at the end of the day for example the men can't compete with the Springboks it's impossible but the women can compete with Spa ladies netball team and the fact that I've said Spa ladies netball team already says that there's something that's happening there that we're not doing and I don't know what that is but the fact that they already have spa associated with them shows there's a product there that's working. Um, same with Springbok Rugby Women. Uh, that's still growing. So how can we... We already have a very good feeder system for girls playing hockey at school level. So how can we actually tap into that and grow them through? So that product, yeah. Just sorry, just to jump in. The corporate, the corporate word, uh, setting up a PTY, I think is a very good idea, whether it's an MPO or a PTY, and that's something that both teams should definitely explore. Um, I think that is being done. I'm not certain behind the scenes, but that definitely should be an option to explore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at hockey in this country and, and like most sports, uh, you know, we exist under the Department of uh, the Department of Sports and Recreation and under SASCOC because SASCOC define your Olympic participation. Yeah, yeah. Because of that, I often feel like it's that regulation that wags the dog rather than ambition that wags the dog, you know. So the team is made and, and created and built around 
the, the SASCOC requirements rather than trying to grow the company. Um, and it's, it's one of those, maybe we need to find a, a way to apply SASCOC requirements while growing the company and, and potentially, yeah, making it a PTY, appointing a, a managing director of that PTY who is incentively based remuneration. That could be a good way. Um, I think you, you've said it quite well there because there is, like the SASCOC requirements will never go away and that's good because I think also we tend, so as a as a athlete, I tend to get drawn too much into, no, but I want to play against Belgium, I want to win a gold medal, I need X, Y, X, Y, X, Y. But we are only 1% of the players in the country. So that's why you need to kind of separate the two streams because your weekend warrior has a very different set of needs and, and they're actually the, the bread and butter of hockey in our country. So that's where that Sask the Sascock reminds actually become really important. So it's how we can juggle both of those and get the three revenue streams running independently. Yeah, so I think all, all ideas should be on the table. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I encourage anyone out there who's listening who's got ideas, reach out to me, Tyron, at hockeythemagazine.ca.za and I promise any ideas, I will take them forward uh, to the SA Hockey Council, to the board and... and you know, at least we will pitch them. If they turn down, at least we are, are willing to have those chats. But, uh, you know, let's get off the political bandwagon now and the, 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 the challenge. Uh, not fully off of it. Uh, obviously, we're speaking on the, the verge of the, the, the eve of the, the finals of the FIH Hockey Nations Cup. And what's up for grabs is a space in the FIH Hockey Pro League. When we spoke the other day, uh, you know, you, you, you said it's so so brilliantly should do we want to get back into the FIH Pro League? <laughs> put me under pressure now. I can't remember what I said but I think my answer was definitely because it is surefire competition before the Paris Olympics and we want to be competing at the highest level as a country men and women and we want to be challenging semi-finals and hopefully one day in the future challenging medals. And the only way we can do that is through consistent high level games. And if the Pro League secures that, let's get that spot and we deal with whatever challenges come after that. Uh, how do we make that a, a logistical reality? But yes, we want to be playing at the highest level and I think we should be aiming for that, yeah. But with, with opportunity, with a big opportunity, as there is with Pro League, comes massive challenge. Yes. And we as South African hockey, uh, maybe more than most, face that challenge. And, you know, is it in the best interest? So I feel like if I, if I say to you, what's in the best interest of the team? Yeah. It's Pro League. Yes. But is it necessarily in the best interest of the athletes? I think it would be really difficult for the athletes. I think, look, we are speaking two years in the future, so a lot can change in the, t in the time frame. But I think it would be very difficult for the athletes just based on leave, the fact that we're amateur. And that's not anybody's fault. That's just the reality is that we're amateur. And as a result, committing to four months of full-time hockey before the Paris Olympics would be difficult for a lot of people on top of their jobs. That's just a fact. Um, so yeah, I think, whether it's in the best interest of the athletes or not, that is too complex to answer broadly because I think if you ask all of us, we'd say, yes, we want to play. How we pay for it and how we take leave, that's a challenge that each of us have to look ourselves in the mirror and go from there. But as 
the national team representing our country, yes, we want to win and we're going to play there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you played quite a bit of pro league this year. It, it was harrowing at times. Uh, it was tough. Um, yeah, I know we took some heavy defeats, some big L's. We had a, a number of players who potentially aren't in the top 26, maybe the top 30 even, who stepped up and, and stepped in due to availability challenges. But it also meant that in almost every game, every series, we were feeling a completely different team. We're seeing the benefits of it now at Nations Cup, but uh, you know, from a keeping point of view, how frustrating was that at times that you couldn't rely on the same back line? You couldn't rely on a, having a GB there who, who marshals the defence. Having a, okay, You could always have Jethro there, he was there, but you know, Tim not available for all of it. Uh, Diana Mustafa missing games. How frustrating was it? Um, I don't think I would allocate any frustration to the defence in that regard. I think it was... For me, I wasn't so focused on that. For me, it was just more, it felt like my real debut, Pro League. I played five tests against Namibia, and no discredit to them, it was fantastic, but there was a massive step up for Pro League. So it was kind of like, not really too concerned about that aspect of the game, it was more just being, my word, this is a different level. We all need to step up, we all have had, and I think that learning curve was super valuable. It was really challenging emotionally, and as a team, and but yeah, I think it did also allow a lot of our players to grow, um, and I, I was one of them. You were, and, and you took the opportunity. You were available for all the series, and, and you got a lot of game time under your belt. Do you look back at the year that was and say, "Geez, it was worth it"? Uh, yeah, definitely. I have no regrets regarding playing. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. The other, the other thing is. Uh, You've also now been part of the, the changeover in coaches. It's the first time at an international level that you're experiencing that. Yes, much of the team has remained the same. But uh, have you noticed a change from, I mean, you were, it wasn't that long ago that you were with Springs in Malaysia. Um, and now he's not here. It's Chesi, Uncle Chesi and Ash and uh, Goz. Do you feel that change? Is it quite big or do you feel like it's been pretty... Same as. Thankfully, it, there was continuity, and that Uncle Ches and Coach Hess, they were both involved with Springs as well. And they've handled it like the utmost professionals that they are. And it's been, there have been challenges, but it's been dealt with, and everybody's been super professional going forward. The leadership in our team has been fantastic. Guys have stepped up. Um, guys have really taken this opportunity um, uh, by the horns, if I can put it like that. And um, there is a, a phrase in our, in our team that means, you know, TIA. It, <laughs> can't control it, deal with it. We can't complain. It's just what it is. And guys have really tried to embrace that, I feel. There's been a very cool team vibe this tournament. Uh, but it was also there for Ajdan Shah. Um, so there have been challenges, but I, I can't fault the coaches for the way that they've handled it. It's been incredibly professional and, yeah. The other thing that has uh, obviously come in is the fact that uh, you're playing in front of fans at home for the first time. How cool is that? Oh, that's awesome. That was really cool. <laughs> because I've never had that. Yeah, no. what, what people won't remember is you played Namibia at uh, Linden and we obviously, it was on stream and people yeah. got to watch, but it, there was like five of us there in the grandstand. Yeah, it was empty um, and then uh, the whole of Pro League here was empty 
first time I played in front of a crowd was in Argentina, um, which was harrowing. <laughs> it was really scary, but it was really cool. And then, um, yeah, then as then Shah was a different experience altogether. And now playing in front of a home crowd has been really special. It's been really cool. Um, my brother and my mom watched me for the first time live, and I've played... I'd played 21 tests at that point so it was really it was a really interesting experience so yeah it's been really cool it's been really special and uh, obviously we're amateur and you don't have 100 kits but uh, as a thought of running out there and giving your kits uh, to one of the kids in the crowd uh, across the mind yet now you're playing with fire <laughs> um, <laughs> I would love to give kit away uh, but I'm not going to answer that question <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry the, those people don't listen to the podcast be safe uh, yeah look so so what's next for you uh, in the next uh, couple of months uh, going back to the Netherlands yeah I fly back to the Netherlands on Monday night I have work still um, obviously the years work differently there we we have our summers in June so that's been a bit of a change to adapt to but the immediate hockey future is to hopefully get selected for the World Cup that's been my goal for this year of, above the Commonwealth Games um, and then we slot in with Pinnake, I think, in February. We start preseason training, and the season starts again in March. So that's the immediate hockey future that's ahead of me, and kind of deal with it from there. And your hopes for World Cup? Um, in which regard? You know, uh, how, how, if you were not to make the team and not make the plane, you know, would that be something that motivated you, or upset you, or how would you handle that? I would be very disappointed. I think that's just an honest reality. I'd be very disappointed if I didn't make the, the team, but I think so would every player who didn't make it. But I would wish the team well, and I really want us to do well at the World Cup. I think, it, honestly, this week has been really cool. At Aslan Shah, it's been really cool. The team spirit and the team environment has been really, really positive. Um, and I think we all want to do better as a country. So I would be really disappointed i would sulk really hard and then i would watch the team run out and play the first game on tv and that would be really difficult for me but i would do it because that's that's what we all should be doing we should be wanting the best team to go and if that means that person a has played better than me and they deserve to go you know what kudos you worked harder go for it and obviously with the change in coach sometimes comes a change in opportunity yeah do you feel that little bit of a pip in your step trying to uh Make sure Coach Chez and, and Ashlyn are, are, are noticing him because yeah. uh, a number of players have said that to me. You know, yeah. uh, They loved working with Gareth, but now they need to make sure that Cheslin and Ash want them there as well. Yes, there's definitely a jostling for spots. It's very normal and yeah, it's not being catty. It's not being rude. It's subconscious. It's obviously there. You want, you're putting your best foot forward in every single instance you want. Um, but yeah, so it is definitely there. And, and then obviously one of the challenges that happens when you go and play overseas is to remain uh, available for selection. Yeah. You need to make sure you're flying home for yeah. RPTs. Is that something you've considered the challenges of and, and you'll be making your best efforts to do so? Well, if RPT considers to be the only selection criteria that we have for the national team, I don't really have a choice and I'd have to fly back. I think principally it's not a sound system. I don't think it's an intelligent way of selecting a team. Um, uh, yeah, the model the model is outdated, sadly. I know we have geographical challenges that other countries don't have, but selecting a team based on a week's play, 
yeah it is just not feasible in my opinion i think also as now being part of the european contingent i think what a lot of people tend to forget is that you have to take leave you have to fly back to south africa and then you have to pay for wherever you're going so you end up paying three times which is a lot of money that a lot of for a week and then yeah i don't know if that's feasible going forward i think the model should change uh, i'll give you justin reed ross's number he's been uh preaching that for many years and uh, you know, unfortunately we saw it mean that he didn't play for South Africa yeah obviously at this point in time you would you'd still make sure you're coming back for these things um, but it is a challenge and it is a, a, a realistic challenge under the current circumstances for all players who play in Europe yeah I think especially if you're a working individual I think it's really difficult um, I, this year for example I was genuinely not available due to leave constraints I did not have enough leave um, and if I get selected for the World Cup, I will use all my leave for the year up until June when I think the cycle resets. And that is just a reality. And I'd have to deal with whatever goes from there. Uh, sadly, it's just the truth. So, yeah, And it is a challenge. And, it, and it's important that listeners also understand that. You, yeah. know? you are a working individual. You're not bankrolled by a trust fund that means you can just say, now nah, I won't work, whatever. No. You've got to work. You've got to yeah. raise money. You know, Austin Smith is the same. Justin Reed Ross is the same. You know, uh, some guys go over to Europe and they work for the clubs and yeah. so the clubs give them that leave. But, you know, you're working in the corporate world and balancing a life and, and that in itself is challenging yeah. without all the financial variations yeah, yeah. and challenges put it in. Is then um, we could chat all day. Uh, I, I really do enjoy it, but I am also mindful that you have dinner shortly. It's been a refreshing chat. It's Thanks. been great to see you come into the team and take your opportunities, and and also to see your own development from, you know, ignoring again no disrespect, but ignoring the Namibia series, comparing the confidence in those first pro league games against Netherlands and Ireland to the confidence you've displayed this week, to you, you, you're more certain of your space in the team and stuff. And it's really great to see that, that development and you know, not just yourself, we've seen it with a few players this week, playing a little bit more with that freedom of confidence. And we look forward to uh, making sure that everybody knows the stories that are happening and of course, supporting the team as you guys go forward. Thanks so much, Tyron. Thanks for, for having me, it's been really fun. Uh, this time it did record, so <laughs> we, we're looking good. I don't have to uh, re-record you tomorrow. That's okay, we could do that other. Yeah, well. episode two, the comeback. <laughs> all right, so good luck for the weekend and uh, yeah, <laughs> keep, keep all the goals out. Thanks, I'll try my best. Cheers. Cheers.